Good morning, I'm Jordan, and on Talk Talk today, we're talking about relationships and how we label them. Joining me is my girlfriend and communication expert, Ellie Johnson. Uh, we've never talked about that. Am I your girlfriend? Aren't you? Oh, don't know if we've exactly defined this relationship yet or not. Well, how would we? We can call it different things. We can say it's defining the relationship or DTR or simply having the talk. Uh, It's this idea that whenever we have a romantic relationship of some sort, it can start off as just talking or going on dates, but there's a necessity where a pair essentially establishes through a conversation, through communication, who they are. Now, to do this with our audience real quick, what is this show? (laughs) Yes. So Talk Talk, a podcast about communication. Essentially, we're going to come in every two weeks or so and talk about some different topics regarding communication. This can be a broad number of things. So um, my particular research specialty is thinking about communication between romantic couples, but we're also going to cover some topics thinking about um, communication between family members, communication between friends, maybe even in the workplace, anything and everything that involves you talking to someone else using words to convey some sort of message to someone who you have a relationship of some sort of when your life, that's what we're covering in Talk Talk. All right. And then my role (laughs) is just to be the sounding board reflecting the audience's ignorance so that you can then address whatever stupid questions I have. Yes, Jordan's the lay expert, and I am well, the... Well, I'm no sort of expert. You're the lay person's expert, the okay. person that lives... I mean, because we all do communication every single day, sure. right? I yeah. mean, there's some sort of an expert quality in the sense that you do have to do it every single day, but I'm more of the expert of thinking about this in a scholarly sense of right. theorizing, okay. collecting data, getting to the empirical truth of what communication actually is. Okay, so when we're talking about these relationship-defining talks, what does that mean? Well, it can include a lot of things, Jordan. So we think of this almost as about a discussion of the nature, the status of the relationship, especially that idea of defining the label. So what are we going to call ourselves? Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? That's are we, us. That's us. Yes. Well, thanks. I'm glad that we finally <laughs> defined this <laughs> for our relationship, but there's lots of different labels. That's mm-hmm. maybe the most common, um, but some defining the relationship talks end up saying, oh, well, we're just hanging out or yeah. we're just friends or a more common one, we're friends with benefits are really some common labels that we see young people taking today. Just like the Ashton Kutcher movie. The Friends Ashton Kutcher. Or is that... How old was that? Was Mila Kunis? I don't know. But now they're married. So were yeah. they friends with benefits? I don't know, but I suspect Wait, they've had this conversation now. That's Justin Timberlake oh. and Mila Kunis. Well, you can sense my confusion. because <laughs> I actually show clips from that movie in my intro to interpersonal class we talk about friends with benefits for a while and the kids always get really nervous and they kind of go into their turtle shells whenever i talk about it but it's always kind of fun um so one thing that we see specifically in these conversations are there's a bunch of questions that we're trying to answer with these conversations things like who are we but also where are we going so we don't only want to assign those labels but we want to think about the future the idea of are we committed are we not but also this idea of rule setting so what are we allowed to do based on this label, based on the nature, based on the status of these relationships. Well, uh, uh, like what, what would be an example of 
those rules in rule setting. Oh my gosh. So we're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute, but it could okay. be things like, um, who are we allowed to hang out with? So can I have mm. other friends that are of the same gender as mm-hmm. my partner? Um, but also sexual safety. So thinking about things like, um, when are we going to have sex? What mm-hmm. kind of sex are we going to engage in? What kind of sexual safety, thinking about birth control, condoms, mm. uh, sexual history, things of that nature, are a lot of the rules that we see being set in these conversations. And really because of that, we see these conversations being super, super anxiety provoking. So mm-hmm. whenever you have a study and you ask people who've had these conversations, how did you feel about it before you had it? They'll say they had moderate to high anxiety about mm-hmm. the prospect because you don't know what your partner's going to say. Well, and you're worried that you're going to be like, so are we like boyfriend and girlfriend? They're like, what? I thought we were just like, like dudes exactly. hanging out. <laughs> exactly. And that's really the big fear. But because of that, specifically because of that chance that there's incongruencies, they're necessary conversations. Because mm-hmm. to have a thriving relationship, you got to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Any type of relationship where you do have that incongruency, it can really lead to emotional turmoil. And that's why we see that over half of all young adult couples will have at least one defining the relationship talk, according to a 2020 study by Knopp et al., so half of young people have these conversations. What leads to these conversations? Like, where do they get the idea to have a conversation? Like, is it something they see happen on TV and they're like, like, where I don't know, the role models for a conversation like this. Right. So these ideas of defining the relationships, the DTR talks have really skyrocketed in popularity in recent years. And um, if you do a Google search for something of the nature of defining the relationship DTR, you'll get something like 150 million hits mm. of different popular science articles saying, here's how to have it. Here's how not to have it. Here's why you need to have it. This isn't something that we always saw happening. Okay. Um, what happened before? Yeah. So what, there's a ton of, scientific shifts that we've seen in research between modern young adult couples and young adult couples that you might have seen a few decades ago. Um, There's a ton of differences, things like people are getting married later, people are engaging in sexual activity sooner. But one thing that's very clear is that modern young adult relationships have clear increases in ambiguity, okay? These Mm. relationships are not near as clear as you would have seen decades ago of young adult relationships. Um, Where you go steady and then you get married, basically. No, (laughs) no, exactly. So I thought a lot about this whenever I was looking at the research for this specific topic. I thought about that scene in Greece Mm. uh, whenever Danny and Sandy go to the drive-in. They're watching a movie and Danny... Uh, gives Sandy his class ring. Mm -hmm. And to Sandy, this is this huge thing that has this very, very clear meaning. Yeah, it's an unambiguous symbol. You have my class ring. You're my girl. You're my girl, okay? And she even makes a statement, now I know how much you respect me. Even Mm -hmm. though they had no conversation about respect or commitment or their relationship Mm -hmm. at all. So maybe not completely unambiguous, but they both had meanings in their head that they thought it meant, even if those things weren't the same meaning. Exactly. What we saw back then was that young adult couples almost followed a script to a T. There mm-hmm. was a very clear idea of, okay, this is whenever you hit this stage of a relationship, and this is what you do when you hit this stage of a relationship. Um, however, modern couples, we don't see that happening. There's so much more ambiguity. Couples will have different timelines at which they will hit different relational milestones. Mm. Um, there's a bit 
of theorizing that has went into trying to explain this a little bit. So Scott Stanley, he is a top psychologist in the field on relationships. He theorizes a lot on these ideas of commitment and how commitment has changed over time. And his big theoretical milestone is this idea of sliding versus deciding. Hmm. And the idea here is that older couples were more likely to decide different stages of a relationship. So they would have these very clear understandings of what each different relationship milestone meant and what stages you'd have to go through in a certain order to get to those different stages of commitment. However, what we see younger couples doing more often in modern times is they're more likely to slide into relationships. Mm -hmm. So they almost, they still go through the same relationship milestones that we would have seen couples in the past doing, but they don't have conversations about them. Okay. Or they don't really have that clarity of what that actually means to each partner. It's kind of like sliding through a relationship without paying too much attention to what's going on around you and what that might mean for the future. Where in the past, it was almost a staircase. Like you Mm -hmm. were very deliberately together taking each step. Whereas modern relationship, you're literally just going down the chute and seeing what happens. Okay, so now... We have this sliding in, Mm -hmm. and because we're sliding in, we have to have this conversation that really outlines what's happening. And and half of the people are having that conversation, but half of those people aren't having those conversations. What is happening with that that second half of people who are sliding in with no conversation at all? They're not having anything. Um, And the reason that we think that there's people who aren't having that conversation, one 2010 study by Aldrich and Morrison found that a lot of people thought that discussing commitment with their partner was something that would be embarrassing. Um, that's often why we see these kind of sliding relationships I guess, happening. Like a partner doesn't want to seem needy. Like, no. like I, I, you know, I need, that's not a cool thing to look like mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, but really, yeah. So we see about 50% of couples not reporting, having a defining the relationship type conversation. And there's really two perspectives to that. Um, so the first is that you can think about demographics. So that 2020 study by Knopp et al. that I mentioned earlier, they found a few demographic issues. Hmm. Um, so one is that couples who are younger and couples that have smaller age gaps between couples are more likely to have a defining the relationship talk. Hmm. Yeah, so... And I mean, you can bring some question into that finding because a lot of these studies are done on college populations. They're not bringing in people who are older, who are in dating relationships still. It's got the classic uh, weird problem, which is like Western educated. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know the rest of the letters because I'm not a a researcher, but there's some anagram there. No, there is. And that's really what you see happening here. But it was a significant finding. Um, But something that is more prevalent about the demographics is that you can see that relationships who are that last longer, that are more serious and more exclusive are more likely to have a DTR talk at some point. Now, unfortunately, one thing that we can't really prove with this data is was the, it was the chicken or the egg coming first. So you can't tell if it's, oh, because it's a serious relationship that they're having the conversation or if the conversation caused the relationship to be more to serious. To become more serious because everyone knows where they stand. So it'd be easier to then rely more heavily on the uh, relationship once you've established what the boundaries are. Whereas if you don't know someone's committed to you, why would you invest as much effort? But yeah, I I get chicken and egg. So you don't actually know. Yeah. It's interesting. But the more interesting thing about this Mm -hmm. that intrigues me, especially is that theoretically, right? Every single relationship, regardless of if it's committed, if it's serious, if it's exclusive should be having a DTR talk. 
Mm-hmm. To define some sort of boundary, right? Yeah. Because if even if you're a just having fun type of relationship, shouldn't you have a conversation yeah. about that? Yeah, because obviously the other person could perceive it in a completely different way, and then you end up with someone hurt. Right. But yeah. we're not seeing that in the research. We're not seeing that in the data. So we can't assume that they are happening. Um, but another perspective and... One that I think is a little bit more interesting to consider is a position of power. I love, love, love thinking about power in relationship. It's one of my favorite variables to consider in communication because regardless of what type of a relationship you are in, there's going to be some type of power balance. One partner has more power. One partner has less power. Um, you can have an equal power relationship, but regardless of if it's unequal or equal, you're going to see those ideas kind of manifesting of how power is influencing. Wait, so is the power part of the conversation or is it just something that informs the conversation subtextually? Both. So power, um, and what's argued here, um, Scott Stanley did some more theorizing on this idea of power being an influencer and a need to avoid these type of conversations, Mm -hmm. um, just based on his work on commitment. And really what he uses to theorize that avoidance is this idea of the principle of least interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, are you familiar with that at all? Well, I would just, I'm just going to give yeah. a ballpark is the person with, who's least interested has all the power because they're the ones who are willing to walk away. Oh, yeah. So, so like they can, if, you know, they just have the veto power kind of or whatever, like the Trump card. No, exactly. So any type of relationship that you get, romantic, friendship, family, workplace, mm-hmm. the person with the least interest Okay, and what is going on in a romantic relationship? We're thinking about commitment mm-hmm. in this sense. But whoever has the least interest has the most power. And what we see is that powerful people don't want to shake up the status quo. Mm-hmm. Powerful people don't want to mess up what they got. They recognize that they are in a good place. They're in the powerful position. And if you start moving the chess pieces around, you mm-hmm. might lose your queen in a sense. <laughs> I know you like that reference. Yes. See, I'm getting those chess references in there for my lovely boyfriend. <laughs> Who is uh, a, a chess player of some renown. <laughs> and by that, some renown being low renown. That's what gives him the power in this relationship for sure. Is just being like a chess grandmaster. Uh, I'm probably going to cut that. <laughs> I'm too embarrassed by it. You can't. For the powerful person in the relationship, Having these defining the relationship talks really defines a representation of loss for them. Because in a sense, it's this idea of a turning point in the relationship. Having those defining the relationship talks in every single situation is going to take the relationship from one level to another level. Mm -hmm. You're never going to have the relationship be in the exact same spot that it was before after having a talk Mm -hmm. of this nature. Um, Which I guess is, again, the anxiety of it. Because even if um, you're wanting to make the relationship more serious, there's some attachment to whatever the relationship is as it stands. And you risk losing that. Exactly. There's always this fear of, well, I'm happy right now. Why? would I do something that risks my happiness that I currently mm-hmm. have? Even if it likely would lead to greater happiness if successful. Uh, or not. You know? Yeah, yeah. You never really know. And this is really defined by the people who are powerful. They have all these different 
types of losses that they can have just yeah. based on how the conversation goes. Yeah. And, and so are we assuming then that the person who has less power in the relationship is the one starting this conversation? Typically, yes. We're going to make this assumption because the person with the least power is going to be the one that's more committed. And by sense, we can make that assumption that the more committed person is going to want to take that commitment further or be reassured that their partner is as committed as they are to the relationship. So it really makes defining the relationship very important for them. Um, and because they're going to be, in a sense, constantly reaching for this conversation to occur, maybe wanting it to occur multiple times, there's going to be different types of loss that the person who is least committed has the most power could be seeing from having a conversation at this point. Um, so one of them is the loss of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the person with the most power, the least committed person, they might fear having this conversation because they know that if they have the conversation, the relationship's going to end. Because they're not going to give the answer that the other person wants. And they know that already. Right. They know that already. They know what this person wants. They know what they want. They're happy with what they have. But if mm -hmm. it happens, it's going to end because there's incongruency. Right. So that's one type of loss. Another one could be a loss of peace. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, if the person who is least committed has the most power, they say, yeah, I'm not feeling that committed right now but i see it happening in the future like mm. maybe i'm in a new stage in my life uh we watched juno last night and we yep. saw uh jason bateman's character saying you know it's not the right time for me mm -hmm. but you know in a few years it'll be the right time for me yeah he um, was definitely the one who was least <laughs> committed to the relationship right and he had all the power he had the ability to say well i'm just gonna go be a rock star and live in my loft and mm -hmm. maybe in a few years we'll check it back in on this later um and really what we see is that that type of person will avoid this conversation for a fear of a loss of peace. Mm -hmm. So if they make that statement of, well, oh, let's check back on this in a month. Let's check back on this in a year. What that means is that it's going to become an ongoing negotiation. That mm -hmm. person who's more committed isn't going to just stop there. They're going to keep bringing it up in conversation until they get the answer that wants. So it mm -hmm. kind of disrupts that status quo mm -hmm. that that individual was seeing. And the final loss that we see being potential for that person with the most power is a loss of freedom, okay? Mm -hmm. So say that the person with the most power, least commitment, they say, yeah, I'm not that committed right now, but I dig this person. This is still a person that I want to be with. So it's kind of this idea that got to match the bet or leave the game mm -hmm. with the more committed person. Yeah, because the conversation is a little bit like in poker. You're like putting your chips on the table. You're oh like, here, gosh. I'm all in. Are you going to match this or are you, are you folding? <laughs> you know, it's crazy how much relationships are like poker sometimes. Yeah. Because you really are playing two different people that no matter how much you agree with them on things, no matter how many similarities that you do have, there are going to be some differences in goals. Mm -hmm. And even if you aren't having explicit arguments, conflicts about those differing goals, it's going to pop up occasionally in conversation and lead to this idea of having to kind of match the bet, leave the game, put all the chips on the table, or go find another way to gamble. All right. So we've talked a lot about what there is to lose, like kind of what the stakes of the game are, but how is the game played? What, what does the conversation look like? This is a question that researchers have had for a very, very long time. And it wasn't until um, a 2020 study by Knopp and colleagues that was published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships that gave us some interesting intrigue, some insight into what the content of these conversations looks like. Um, so most of the findings that I'm going to be presenting here are from that article. I'll be presenting a few more and I'll note whenever they're by someone else. Okay. Um, so the first thing to note is that actually thinking about when these conversations occur, 
they're most likely to occur within the first two months of a relationship. So okay. people are not waiting that long. This That's a, interesting. I would have thought it was a little bit later. Why? I don't know. I, I, I think that people, like the way you said they slide into relationships, mm-hmm. I would have thought that that slide maybe takes three or four months of hanging out and mm-hmm. then someone finally is like, well, what are we doing here? But I guess that is what's happening. It's just happening earlier than I might have percept- well, perceived. Well, I think you're right on some realms that you kind of lose track of time on the slide, but also with the slide, you're moving pretty quick. Mm. And what we might have traditionally thought to take three months, four months, five months, a year is now happening in a much quicker amount of time. Mm. Um, even some people in this study were saying within the first month, within the first two weeks, they wanted to have an idea. Yeah. So does this study have data on, is there any difference between how long the slide takes? Like, do we know if, if like, so older people, do they slide quicker? Do they slide slower than young people? Yeah, they didn't introduce any data on that. I I would say that would be a future study. I also want to note that this data was taken from people reporting on relationships that it ended. So none of the relationships that were reported on in this study were present relationships were current relationships. Interesting. Well, but that's good, right? For the data, because in a sense, they were capturing the whole of a relationship. They weren't, you know, Except for the whole of a relationship that is a lifelong relationship. Right, right. No, these were in this entire sample. Unless you're interviewing like widows and widowers. (laughs) No, this entire sample was college students. Right, Um, as is often the case. Yeah, I mean, we did see some, I think the shortest relationship that was reported on was like a one month long relationship. And Mm. then the longest was like two or three years, something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, So it. No, you're capturing everything. And like I said, some of these couples reported having two or three different define the relationship talks, but at least that very first one where you're probably discussing things like, what are we, man? Okay, mm-hmm. that's going to happen within those first two months of the relationship. I guess ours happened like in a month, two months. It was, it was probably right around it, two it months. It was probably around two months, if I recall correctly, our little quarantine timeline. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, we follow the data. So I, I think that's a place where you often think, nah, that's not real. But then you look at your own relationships, the relationships that surround you, and you say, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I'm a data point. Yeah. I'm a walking. I'm at the top of the bell curve, baby. I'm at the top of the bell curve, baby. <laughs> look at me. Right on the media. <laughs> <laughs> Cracking me up with those statistics. Yeah. That's why I love you, baby. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so whenever we're thinking about these talks, they have them in those two months. Um, What we see is that the talks can be initiated by one partner or by both partners simultaneously. So Mm. this idea of it almost just spontaneously arousing in a conversation without without one partner having to be the one that initiates it. Mm -hmm. We saw about a 50-50 split in the data of saying, oh, well, I started it or my partner started it versus we both started it simultaneously. Mm. An interesting bit, of this data was that over half of participants um, were likely to say that they started it themselves. Huh. Which I sense some bias there. I sense heavy, heavy bias there because these were all relationships that were ended. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, an ended relationship, even though you may have positive feelings about your partner, your previous Mm -hmm. partner, you're probably still likely to see yourself in the more positive light yeah. of this relationship and be like, well, I was the one who was fighting for the commitment. Right. I was the one who wanted to work out, even though statistically speaking, your 
just as likely to be the one who was least committed right. as being the one that is most committed. But they see themselves as the hero of the relationship trying to make everything exactly. work. And if it wasn't for the other person and their difficulties, this would have worked out. You know, it was interesting. The study, they talked a little bit about some qualitative data that they collected. So actually like short answers that they got from like interviews or just people free writing about their different talks. And I would have loved to have read those. Mm. And just to seeing how these people turn themselves into the protag- protagonist and turn mm. their partner into the antagonist. Mm. Whenever we know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a few episodes later, I'll probably talk a bit about some of my own research, but I do a bit of actually bringing couples into a lab type setting that looks like a living room and having them have a conversation in front of a camera and actually analyzing the conversation. And it is fascinating to look at how much data that we find from looking at an actual conversation that someone has versus what they report. Is there also any amount of like, here's what I was getting at in this conversation, but then you looking at their conversation, it's unclear what they were talking about. But to them, it was very clear. And how could their partner not get this? Oh my gosh, it was so clear to them in so many situations. Um, My master's thesis focused on talking about stressful issues Mm -hmm. within the relationship. And I had multiple couples that were like, I think that we should talk about the incident. Mm. And they would go the whole conversation vaguely talking about an incident. Yeah. But never actually saying what the incident was. But you could tell in the veracity of which they were talking to each other Mm -hmm. that they knew exactly what the incident was and they were very stressed about the incident (laughs) um and that's the lovely thing about relationships right you form your own sort of language to describe different events Mm -hmm. um and i think you can see that a lot in defining the relationship conversations as well and i think that's why they've been so difficult to study in the past because we're not following a script Mm-hmm. You know, couples decades ago might have been following a script that everyone could expect to occur, but couples today are much more likely to go off script, to use their own language, to use their own idioms, to vaguely refer to events or have common events in the back of their mind that if you looked at a transcript of a conversation, you could tell that something was kind of looming in the background like a monster, mm-hmm. but you'll never actually know what it is, but the couple knows exactly what mm-hmm. it is. Um, like even something like you take a video clip and you see, oh, this partner is so frustrated about this vague comment that the other partner just made. I have no idea why they're frustrated, but you ask either one of the partners, especially the one who wasn't frustrated, and they'll say, yeah, this yeah. is exactly why they just got frustrated with me. Yeah, it's all about context. The, <sighs> the, um, the knowledge that people are bringing to a conversation is as much of a part of the conversation as what's actually being said. We live in a social world. And that's why I love studying communication so much because it's not like chemicals and rocks and test tubes and Mm -hmm. things that are going to react the same exact way if you pour a certain amount into Mm -hmm. one vial and a certain amount into the other vial. Every single couple, every single relationship is going to communicate differently because of the social context, which in that relationship is nested. (laughs) Okay, so circling back a little bit, you said that the uh these conversations like half of them occur naturally and half of them are like premeditated we need to have this conversation mm-hmm. so how do people get into the conversation 
in those two groups, I guess. Right. So a 2012 study by Nelms and colleagues found that the most frequent way that these conversations start is through direct questioning. So those ones that we see being initiated by one partner Mm -hmm. or the other partner, it's typically going to be through these ideas of direct questions, but the type of the question itself differs. Mm -hmm. Um, So the most common type of question to ask would be something about questions about the future. So Mm. where are we going? What does X look like for us? What does Y look like for us? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like after we graduate? Especially if we're thinking about well, a college. That's population. interesting. I was I was thinking about how events shape that. Mm-hmm. Like if the holidays are coming up, that could be an instigator <laughs> of the conversation because it's like, well, are we going to spend the holidays together? But I, I graduation is also like a perfect because people naturally move away from wherever their college town is often after graduation. So you really got to know. No. Are I, we going together? Or are we going separately? I mean, thinking about holidays, that reminds me of whenever we talked about Christmas. Because mm-hmm. that was definitely felt like a DTR relationship for us. Yeah. That wasn't really a direct questioning, but it was kind of a... Definitely a turning point for me of like, oh man, he he's serious about this. He wants right. me to come to Christmas with his family. And I think it went well, but I think it was definitely was one of those types of conversations of negotiating um, mm-hmm. what the actual commitment level was. What do those future activities look like? So in addition to those future-based questions, we'll also see questions about this ideas of motives. Um, so what do you see of me? What do you think of me as? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are more those ideas of labeling. So am I your girlfriend? Are you my boyfriend? Things of that nature are another very common type of question. But in thinking about the more natural progression of the conversation, those ones that kind of spontaneously arise, um, one that's really common is this idea of just expressing one's feelings to mm-hmm. a partner. So not actually asking them how they feel, but actually being like, this is how I feel about you. This is what I see for the future. And then more often than not, the partner will follow up mm-hmm. with, oh, well, this is how I feel. Or <laughs> they will just, just be like, oh, chill. Later, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you actually, you see that happening a lot. Well, especially if they don't want to have the conversation, no. then that's like a avoidance is not to reciprocate. That's a very clear avoiding tactic. And you will see that happening a lot. And sometimes the partner is like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not having this conversation right now. Or the partner is going to dig in harder and be like, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. I just expressed this thing to you and you said nothing back in return to me. And it can really turn into a conflict that res- results from a DTR conversation and leads to a dissolution of the relationship, mm. which is unfortunately what we do see happening in a lot of these conversations mm-hmm. is you realize what you want is different. Um, and it leads to the dissolution. But at the same time, that is a good thing. Oh. Even even for the partner that is disappointed by the relationship not going anywhere, mm. that al- at least allows you to pursue a relationship with someone who might have goals that are aligned with yours. Oh, yeah. no, Because you just now have that information that you didn't have before. They're so healthy, in a sense. Um, well, not even in a sense. They're just healthy in general. And I think mm-hmm. whenever we think of healthy relationships, we think about healthy communication. We often think about relationships that stick together and are happy and end in marriage and babies and growing old together and all these things. But also having the ability to have communication and have conversations that lead to the dissolution of a breakup that in a relationship that is not meant to be that is not, you know, congruent in terms of desires and goals, that's also healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of not staying with someone who doesn't meet your goals, your need in a relationship is so, often... So long-term, only upsides. Yeah. Short-term, 
very much a possible downside of losing the relationship that you've come to mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. But long term, you're set. <laughs> Which and that's why it's so anxiety producing, right? Because right. you people don't tend, especially young people, don't tend to focus on the long term yeah. goal of things. They think on that day, that month, that week, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to be feeling? Mm-hmm. And if a DTR, DTR relationship ends in a breakup, you're going to feel pretty bad mm-hmm. for a few days, for a week. But long term. Well, especially if you're the one who instigated it because you're like, I'm the reason this broke up, <laughs> which you would be. But again, long term, good idea. <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting how people um, focus on these different things. So once the conversation has started, there's several different topics that we can see arising in a DTR conversation. Interestingly, 98% of couples in the NOP at all study said that their topic primarily was defining us as a couple. Mm-hmm. So that idea of moving from me and you to a we to a us, often these ideas of saying, well, are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Are we this and that, etc." 98% of conversations had that as a theme. Okay, so that, that is like omnipresent. That is omnipresent. That is gonna be there almost always. Almost always, you're gonna see this happening. But there are other themes that often overlap with that broad theme. So um, 80% of those conversations had a theme of talking about the future. So again, that idea of, are we going to stay together after graduation? Are we going to get married? Are we going to get engaged? Do we want to have children? Things of that nature, 80%. Um, Interestingly, 75% of these conversations had a discussion of sexual safety Mm. involved. Um, so talking about things like birth control, condom use, um, sexual history. Hmm. Um, when are we going to be ready to have sex? When do we know we're going to be ready to have sex? And the reason that happens is, like I talked about at the very beginning of this episode, is a lot of these conversations have to do with the rule setting. So what are we going to do? What are we allowed to do? And sex is one of those clear things that whenever a relationship is being defined as something that's a unit, something mm-hmm. that is lasting, you're going to start having those conversations about, okay, now what can we do? Yeah. So is that, I guess it's all part of the DTR relationship. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like that that's slightly different of a conversation, but it's like, we're already having a serious conversation. So let's get this out of the way too. Yeah. Cause it's really, we don't want to have a serious conversation like that every single night. Right. So we'll, we'll do a little bundle. Right, you're going to get all the stress out. You're going to explode with all the emotions, all mm-hmm. the feelings, all of the negotiation that has to occur that is often difficult. Get it done with one right and you're smooth sailing for a bit. Yeah, and you get back to watching The Office or something. Exactly. You get back to watching The Office or, well, not, no, you know, college students don't have Peacock. Come <laughs> well, on. Well, they used to back when it was on Netflix. They okay. would be watching The Office. For this 2020 study, they might have had The Office. Yeah. Now but no longer. They'll have to get back to watching Bridgerton. Okay, Bridgerton. <laughs> what else is on Netflix now? What sitcoms? Bridgerton. No, it's on HBO Max. Man, what does what? Netflix have? Um, in terms of just generic New Girl. They're watching New Girl. They're watching New Girl. They're there watching New Girl now. So they have their talk. They decide that they can Netflix and chill now, and then they go to watching New Girl. <laughs> is essentially what this conversation occurs with. Um, and finally, the other big topic that we saw popping up in 70% of these conversations was romantic and sexual exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... This that's I, interesting. That's almost what? lower than I thought, thought it'd be. Like, that feels like another one that's like, surely that's part of the conversation. Is it not in there because in the in the they already think they're exclusive? Yeah. Or is it... Because the other option would be that they just... 
assume that it's open. There's some assumption being made when they're not talking about it. Yeah, I think there's some assumption being made. I would say in the other 30%, more likely than not, they're assuming that there's already this expectation for exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we see is that we know this. Younger couples are much more likely to be okay with open based relationship than previous couples would have been. So I think that's why we do see about 70% mm-hmm. having a sort of conversation of either the romantic or the sexual variety. Um, like it's interesting. I don't think we had any type of talk of exclusive because we've always assumed that, yeah. that we weren't seeing other people, which also, I mean, we started dating during the pandemic. Yeah. So, we really so it would have been kind of hard. <laughs> it would have been really hard. To and see also other. we're a little bit dorks. We're it's, a little bit dorks. We're a little bit introverts that don't like having yeah. too many people. I think about having two boyfriends sometimes and yeah. I just. How often? <laughs> I'm just like, how exhausted would I be? Well, not that often. Maybe just like in this conversation. Daily. <laughs> I daily think about what it would be like I have two to date you and Chris Evans at the same time. Wow. If I was dating <laughs> me and Chris Evans, I would only be dating Chris Evans. <laughs> if those are my two options, forget about it. All right. So everyone has their cards out on the table. They've said the things that they needed to establish the relationship. Some people are happy, sad, whatever the outcome of the conversation was. It's over. It's over. What happens then? So for most of them, outcomes are good. We see the majority of people will say that they have more clarity, more intimacy, more commitment with their partner. Um, About one-fourth of these conversations, people will report dissatisfaction. So either they broke up or they're dissatisfied in some aspect with how the conversation went. What we see in the long term for these couples, we especially see differences in their sexual activity. So couples who have a DTR conversation are more likely to have sex with each other, but are also more likely to report delaying sex in some form. And by delaying sex, what we essentially mean is that they're setting some sort of rule for when they're going to have sex and decide not to have it at the moment of the actual conversation. Um, And additionally, what we see is they tend to have safer sex. So Mm -hmm. tend to use condoms, tend to use birth control, and they're often more likely to have more sexual communication, which we see in other research often leads to better sexual experiences for both partners. So in that regard, at least, we know that these are really, really good conversations to have. Mm -hmm. Um, But an interesting point that I did want to end on that I think is incredibly intriguing, and so did the researchers. Yeah, bring us home. Yeah, is that couples who have DTR conversations are also more likely to report cheating at some point. One of the partners being involved in infidelity. Why do you think that happens? I guess because before the conversation had happened, they didn't understand the boundaries. Mm. So they were more likely to... Have, have at least been able to convince themselves that they had plausible deniability. Like, this this isn't that serious. I can probably do this. Yeah. And now the conversation happens and they're like, well, that was clearly out of bounds by these new definitions. Right. So that is one of the possibilities. So the researchers came up with two different plausible explanations. One of them is that one of the partners being involved in cheating was what actually led to the conversation occurring. Okay. So, yeah. So one partner cheating on the other the other partner finds out, then they had the DTR conversation. Because yeah, they were like, I thought this was exclusive. And now by your actions, I can see that you did not think that. Exactly. But the other thing is that you have to remember that we don't have causal data. So we can't mm-hmm. say that one thing happened before the other thing. We just know that they kind of go together. 
The other possible explanation is that the DTR conversation, couples that have those often will have more stringent requirements for what constitutes cheating in their mm. relationship, which leads to more cheating just by the virtue of there being more stringent requirements. Mm -hmm. So lesser acts in DTR couples might signal cheating, whereas in couples that don't have DTR conversations, they wouldn't call that thing cheating in the first place because mm -hmm. the rule itself was never made. Yeah. So we don't know. We'd have to do a different study with causal data, looking at longitudinal, this happened and then this happened to come to the conclusion on what the actual possible explanation is. But those are the two options. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because if you don't have a definition for what a thing is, it's harder to put something into that category. Yeah. And then you lead to things happening where it's like one partner calls it cheating, one partner doesn't, and mm -hmm. then depends on who's reporting if they're going to call it cheating or not. So it gets right. messy for conversations that don't. But um, if you've had the DTR, those definitions are more likely to be aligned. Yes. And we, we've established like you can't smooch Chris exactly. Evans. Exactly. And so if you smooch Chris Evans... I can't, baby. <laughs> well, you can switch Chris Evans, but no one else. <laughs> I mean, really. Well, and me, but no one else. Other if I than had that. the opportunity, I don't think you would deny me the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can switch Chris Evans. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Um, but yeah, so that's why these conversations. Wait, can I smooch Chris Evans? Any day, baby. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> Who do you think is more likely to smooch Chris Evans? Me or you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. When it happens, we'll come back to this episode as evidence. <laughs> As it not being cheating. Yes. If you get the opportunity to cr kiss Chris Evans. Chris kiss Evans. Chris kiss Evans. If Chris the kiss Evans. Yes. He's going to have full on kiss makeup and everything in this scenario. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm Chris the kiss. Less into it, I guess. Yeah. But anyways, yes. This is our conversation <laughs> defining that this is not cheating. Well, that has been our conversation on the conversation <laughs> defining the relationship. Uh, I've been Jordan Peoples, your host that knows nothing. And I'm Ellie Johnson, the host that knows something. And this has been Talk Talk. What you talking about? Talk, 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 talk. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I'm Ellie Johnson. <laughs> you got to be able to say your name. <laughs>